Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with all leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Weekend after Christmas. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> it was up for debate. <laughs> True statement. <laughs> So, so you just had a holiday that we, so we all shared a holiday, you being Canadian, us being American. Right. Um, so we shared a holiday and then it was immediately followed by a holiday we don't share. Right. Boxing day, which I always thought meant, you know, boxing day That's for right. some strange reason. You celebrated pugilists. Um, <laughs> but apparently maybe, maybe that's not the fact. Maybe it, maybe it has a different meaning. Well, there is, certainly is a decent amount of family infighting on boxing day. <laughs> uh, it, it tends to be twofold. It, it happens to be where the secondary or tertiary family visits happen to be, right? So it might be an in-law visit on the 26th versus a mainstay family on the 25th. Um, and then, you know, on occasion, you'll have multiple families come to a gathering, right? That might be the, the Lewis picnic, we'll call it, that oh. everybody comes out of it. But, but Boxing Day is mostly about ensuring your your presents are packed up and put into the basement so that you can make room for new presents uh so traditionally the day to go to best buy and other big box stores to buy yourself stuff you know new tv new video equipment new home theaters all that kind of stuff that's that's what you do uh and i didn't do that but i could have i could have if i wanted to are there any specials yeah, it's, you know, the equivalent of a Black Friday, right? They have Boxing big Boxing Day, day sales. I see them advertised. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't but, know but, whether you get Boxing Day sales, like in, in the grand scheme of things, but we do. Um, because of 2020, because of COVID restrictions and, and kind of changing the shopping cycle, they've been trickling out um, kind of sales on, on the big and small on a kind of continual basis. So the day after Christmas sale this year did have some big deals, but... Um, you know, but, but do you, do you guys know why Black Friday has the name Black Friday? Kind of how I, that started? I do not. So, I, um, most major retailers operate in the red for the year, mm -hmm. right? Like January one, you're operating in the red. Right. So Black Friday is the big sale day after Thanksgiving when traditionally people shifted from kind of Halloween Thanksgiving mode into Christmas mode and went shopping for Christmas. And those sales were set in such a way that it that it was the first day that the store shifted from in the red to in the black. So from the day after Thanksgiving through December 31st is all of the profit for the year. That's, so that's where 11 months of not profit. So you're telling me for the most part, they're running in the red. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. We, uh, we in Ontario- What data do they get to do that? <laughs> well what's interesting is the term comes come came about in like the late 60s early 70s right the maybe, maybe even the 80s right the the term has been around a lot longer than than data analytics has been around it does make me wonder um if modern data analytics would give us a different path and maybe it wouldn't be black friday but it'd be black tuesday in july <laughs> or or a, a black saturday in august <laughs> right yeah, that would be interesting. 
Are you attempting a Carlos transition? Was that what's, what's... Carlos did bring up data analytics, and and so I was trying to tie it in, but. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point because if they spend so long, is that for every retailer? Because like, Amazon have Prime Day before Black Friday. I mean, if we were to think about it, right, um, I don't think that, it, that, that the logic holds true anymore regardless. Um, I'm sure there's a ton of retail outlets that they don't actually hit the black until midway through December, right? But I'm sure there's a lot that also hit it sometime in October or September or August, right? And when you look at Amazon, Amazon holds a lot of inventory mm -hmm. and they, ha they have a lot of overhead and <clears throat> overhead from the technology side but they have they have virtually no overhead from a from a space standpoint, right? Warehouses are cheap, especially when you bury them somewhere off the freeway, you know, right. um, on on the lowest cost per square foot space you can possibly get. Right. Um, so I, I don't know when when you know when their kind of inflection point would be. It'd be it'd be interesting to know that, but I'm I'm certain that's a very closely guarded secret. Right. And this year, clearly more successful than most other years based on people getting things shipped to home. Like it would not shock me if uh, their orders of magnitude growth just this year alone. Yeah, I mean, it, the, that certainly would explain the stock price. Yep. So the topic for the are you, day. Are you transitioning us? <laughs> Data and analytics. So we started with it. What are the predictions for next year? So I think that's interesting. Um, I think I think if we break down data and analytics, you've got you've got several different kind of components, right? You've got the the kind of um, tech segment, right? What technology is going to be kind of the hotness in twenty twenty one? You've got um, the business centric, and then you've got kind of the people centric, or or you know. Um, how do how do the people evolve under kind of data in 2021? Mm -hmm. um, I think where we're going to see some interesting pieces is I think 2021 is going to be um, the year of great success and great failure. Mm. I think we're going to see contraction in the market because I think 2021 is the year when data practices grow up. Right. I think if we look at the market as it sits today, there's, I don't know, 900 or so <clears throat> or so data science tools. Yep. Um, that's not survivable. Um, and that only is able to exist because it's not a grown up field to play in. Right. It's a very homebrew, very individual contributor, very, you know, individual data science or data science practitioner focused world. Um, but the last five years has shown that that doesn't scale. That basically just means you you hire a person and that person cares and feeds for what one person can care and feed for, um, and there's no that's that's no way to scale across an organization. So I think we're going to see massive contraction within the industry. I think we're going to see some M and A activity happen, especially with some of the shrinkage that happened in 2020. Um, and I think we're also just going to see some products kind of go to the wayside. What do you think about that, Paul? Uh, I lost the last bit, but I assume you passed it to me. <laughs> uh, I agreed. 
Agreed from a vendor market, I think you're going to see lots of contraction. In fact, you've, you've seen some already. Um, and you're also going to see lots of innovation from the big guys, you know, the Amazons, the Microsofts. Um, they're going to, especially sort of cloud-centric data management or data governance or data analytics. I think that's, that's going to be a big explosion. But I agree with you holistically beyond all those things that uh, data and analytics maturity isn't where the market hype would suggest, right? That the very few AI projects still lots and lots and lots of MIS and dashboarding and business analytics and general information disclosure type <laughs> uh, data projects. Um, and I think some of that is simply based on it's, it's complex, right? Whenever you use the word science, that kind of guarantees that random business person, random operations person, random executive isn't really going to know what you're talking about, nor how important it is, nor how they would apply it into their actual business day to day, right? They're used to hundreds, if not thousands of reports and they print them out and they get the highlighters and they're scrolling through them, right? This is, this is how they operate their day, especially big institutions, you know, telcos and banks and hospitals and government, like that's, that's kind of, the modus operandi, right? That's how they do things. And going back to them saying, no, no, we're going to have this system help you make decisions and explain to you the importance of data that's on this dashboard. They don't really understand what any of that means. How could, how could this computer tell me what this graph means? That, that it doesn't, it doesn't resonate to them. So it, we're going to have to get through a, an instructional journey, not just a technology maturity journey, I think. I think there's another issue, right, in um, in kind of this continual desire to leap beyond our our capabilities, mm. right? Um, we we get this idea that that artificial intelligence has value, and therefore we need AI, right. and so we say we want AI. It's declared by fiat. We're going to have AI this year, right. and the, the the reality is, if if you're considering that as a leader, I would caution you to ask your, um, the responsible people in your organization to please let me see our existing um, enterprise information maturity model, right? right? Um, if you don't have an EIM maturity model or something uh, analogous to that, um, don't attempt to leap into AI. You will right. be throwing good money after bad. Right. Right, you'll just be be burning cash. Um, the truth is, I think the best place to start is with that maturity model. Right, mm -hmm. really get an understanding of where is the organization, where does the organization sit on the maturity model, um, what is our data report card look like, um, and then make the decision on are we even remotely in a readiness state where getting getting some sort of return on investment from artificial intelligence and machine learning makes sense or are we to the point where um artificial intelligence is not something we should be focusing on as a as a company yeah that, that's why i like to still refer to it as data analytics right versus some other more complex you know um uh operational output or uh, uh, information decision-making where it's much more of a complex concept, right? It's really about sort of the grassroots stuff. And I agree with you, having an assessment or doing a maturity model that talks about all the potential capabilities from data governance to data classification, 
uh, MIS or analytics all the way through the potential things I need to know about data uh, will be valuable because I think you'll surprise yourself. Uh, and I don't think you'll su surprise yourself that you're more mature than you think. <laughs> you'll surprise yourself that you're far less mature than you think. You think you're ready for complex, prescriptive, you know, predictive type modeling, and you probably are not. But some are. Um, in fact, you know, if you're a large organization spending $4 billion a year in IT, maybe, right? You're just probably not at the small, medium-sized business. Unless, I mean, I would say... Yeah. Even in a large organization that's spending $4 billion in IT, um, the, the thing the report card will help with <clears throat> is really help you understand where you're mature enough. Right. Because the answer is not everywhere. Right. You're not everywhere mature enough. You're just mature enough some places. And so, you know, that will really help you understand kind of what places are we mature enough? And then, you know, how do we make investments for 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, right. do we invest in those places where we are that mature because we see the value coming from analytics projects in that area, or do we really need to shore up some of these other areas where we're we're further behind than we thought um, because we see that as the place to get value, or is it some combination of the two, which honestly is infinitely more likely? So capability-wise, are you a proponent of sort of starting with people like a chief data officer or a data science or um, a data integration person, or you more about um, solving specific problems or more, or are you about uh, maximizing the maturity in any one individual capability? In other words, you need to be 80% data classification before you move on to a data governance concern um, or any one of those combinations. Sure, sure. I, I would say ultimately the data strategy should be a corporate data strategy. Okay. Um, at which point, I think I think the first thing that you want to do is take a pass at your data at your data maturity model, um, and then probably understand kind of what the goals of the business are in the three-year kind of ish time frame with data. At that point, I think a CDO becomes a very intelligent decision if you decide that data is going to be a primary influencer to the decisions that are made by the business. Hmm. If you decide it is just reporting function only, I'm not entirely certain that, that you're ready for a CDO. What do you hmm. think? No, 100%, 100%. If, if your goal is to achieve growth, um, then a CDO is akin to your chief revenue officer, your chief, your chief operating officer, right? Uh, but if you're just using data for the purpose of operations, then that should just be tucked under normal operational flows, even within IT, right? right. Uh, a, a CDO is required if you plan on using it to make change to organization, uh, either making it a more efficient or growing it by some, some marketable way. Yeah, specifically yeah. using data, right? Right. Like everybody wants to grow, but if you're, if you're going to be use data to inform the decisions the business makes, yeah. then I think a CDO is important. If your goal for, for data is simply um, more efficient dashboards or better reports, then I don't, then I think a CDO ultimately is a waste. And, and frankly, if you're in the interview process um, and your CDO isn't pointing this out, or if you're, if you're an organization that's doing this and has hired a CDO and your CDO isn't pointing this out, it's probably not a bad time to have a conversation and try to align you know, what your organization's doing with the CDO and ensuring that you're getting the, the maximum value from that position. 
because that should be a very expensive, very influential, very um, you know, change-oriented, transformation-oriented position in the organization. It should be very, very pivotal. Pivotal. Go for that model. Like, where does one go to say, "Here's what right is. Here's what an appropriate roadmap might be. Here is the appropriate uh, steps it takes to deliver on any one and any one or multiple capabilities." Like, if if I don't know that. If I'm not a CDO, if I'm if I am at maturity one of ten, uh, like what, what's good? I mean, what's good depends depends greatly, right? Right, <clears throat> um, which makes huge, it more hugely, difficult. right? Um, what's good in data governance on a insurance company is not going to be the same as what's good at a um, major league baseball team, right? To just randomly pick something else. What's good for a cruise line is not necessarily going to be good for a law firm, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, this will be the first time I say this, uh, I think in our in our 50 some odd episodes, um, this will be the first time where I actually recommend a consultant. Um, I, I think when you're asking that question, your, your best bet is to talk to someone that's done this before um, preferably many times and say, hey, we'd really like to have someone come in and help us determine not only what our maturity model is, right? The grades itself, but really what is the criteria by which our specific business can be graded, right? right. What is the model that works for us, right? So if you were to give us an A, what would an A look like? Um, what are the categories we should be really um, focusing on and how do those break down within the organization, right? Because you're gonna have organizations where um, you're going to want to get, you know, kind of the same things, but, but your grades are going to be graded, not based on the organization as a whole, but based on various operational units within the organization, right? right. Or, or, you know, kind of data users and data creators within the organization. So one think, could go, one could go big four there. One could go, you know, a McKinsey BCP kind of organization. One could go a technology vendor. Uh, or like a big infrastructure vendor, right? Somebody who provides machines for a living. Like, is there, is there a best bet there? Or, you know, a standard consultant that you have shouldn't matter? Uh, I mean, You're not looking at a company. It, I would say it depends, hmm. right? Again, it depends on what, what are you expecting to use the output from this consultancy to do? Right. If again, this is my three my three year data strategy for the company that is going to be a data driven company depends on the output of this consultancy, then uh, I it's doubtful I have the relationship already, right? Um, and it's a it's going to be different. It's going to be specialized, and you're going to want to look for for persons or people that can really help define that. Um, Early on, you're not going to go wrong with one with one individual consultant that really focuses on that thing that really has a good understanding of that thing. I don't know that you need um, a massive organization. At the same time, the you know the PwCs of the world, right? The big five of the world, they have entire divisions devoted to data readiness, right? And so it's not a bad place to look. I, I caution, I, I would have some, some reticence about recommending um, a technology vendor um, unless you've already decided to go with that vendor, right. 
right? If you're a Pentaho customer, if you're a Tableau customer, if you're an Informatica customer, and you're like, I'm not getting the value out of this that I really feel that I should. Um, I, I, I've trained people in it. I've made an investment. I've committed that Tableau, as an example, is going to be the, you know, the, the, the horse I ride, then um, it doesn't hurt you to reach out to them and say, hey, um, we need to improve our capabilities inside the organization. Um, as our preferred vendor, we'd really like your assistance in doing so. So my expectation is you're going to step up um, and, and kind of engage them. That's okay. If you haven't made that choice, I think going with a technology vendor is the answer is our technology. Right. And also recognize that if the answer you get back is the answer is our technology, that's not a sufficient answer. It will never be a sufficient answer. It cannot be a sufficient answer. Right. It's it's how do I change the organization to be a data centric organization, which means the things that are on the report card, how clean is my data, how well defined is my data, how well does everyone understand my data. Um, what is the purpose of my data, where is my data authoritative where's the specific authoritative location for that very cell in a column, not the whole column, not necessarily the the whole um, data set. Um, right. All of that becomes critical in a data driven organization. Um, and that requires a, a change of thought and a change of practice and a change of, of, of culture to become a data centric company. And if the technology company doesn't feel the same, doesn't think the same, doesn't kind of kind of have that mentality that, that it's really about transforming the organization, not just um, what the capabilities of the tool are, then you're really going to want to talk to someone that's not a tool maker. I definitely agree on the, on the vendor tool maker technology side. I purposely left off um, a potential organization on my list because I wanted to use it as my response. <laughs> uh, uh, I think analyst firms are probably your best bet, right? Uh, the Gartners, the Foresters, the X, uh, even, even analyst firms that are specific to your industry because uh, I think they provide a more detailed, potentially a more objective value. And I'd even go so far as to say use and go to more than one, right? Look at multiple, maybe not seven, but you know, a two or three of them get an appreciation for what might be, what their maturity matrices and assessments look like and apply multiple to your business in order to really hone in and double click on what's most important to you. It's quite possible that they have you know, 14, 15 capabilities, and you only think that eight are most relevant to you. And even of those eight, six are the ones that you really want to be really good on. Two, you want an average levels of goodness. Uh, and you don't actually require the full gamut because you're not in the business of doing everything. You're in the business of doing one thing, which is great. Um, and that way it sort of takes, so it adds a whole bunch of objectivity. It allows you to do a lot more primary research than just being on the receiving end of a consultancy gig. Um, and you can learn at the same time. They, they sort of provide a means for you to grow your intellectual capacity at the same time as you're sort of applying that, that strategic thinking to your, to your world, your business. Yeah, I would agree completely. I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a fantastic use of, a, of an analyst firm. Um, and I would second use more than one. Um, and like the things I would go into the conversation with whoever you're thinking about hiring armed with are, um, one, what is our kind of high level strategy? Not, not detailed, just high level. What do you want your business to be and how do you want data to inform that business? Mm -hmm. um, read relevant analyst reports from 
at least four different analyst groups, right? At least um, mm -hmm. Gartner, IDC, um, you know, uh, uh, GigaOM, like like fill in analyst groups as you see fit, and right. really have an idea before you sit down with them. Not only what they've said in the past, that specific analyst, but also what their competition has said. Right? Where where like it, you know maybe maybe put together a little a little kind of brainstorming chart on um, where do they agree and where do they disagree? They all say um, data governance is important and, and is becoming more important and you should have a solid data governance strategy. Okay, so there's some consensus there, but, but how do they say you should go about it? Where do they say you should start? Where do they say the responsibility should lie? Um, and whether that, that the responsibility for build, building that lies on you or lies within you know, a, a, another organization within your organization that has the headspace to do it, right? Um, it's entirely possible as we roll up to the end of the year that your PMO isn't necessarily going to be buried with work. If your PMO has the space, maybe it's a project you give your PMO here in the in the first of the year, right? right? Help us help us build kind of the the tactical strategy on engagement for this project since they'll eventually own the project anyhow. Um, so, because, I, so to that point, like how do how do we have to evolve the culture within any one of these organizations, right? Like how do we evolve storytelling into data storytelling? How do we evolve uh, the perception of the value or the key, uh, the key value proposition of a company to be more data centric? Like that, that requires building different relationships. That requires uh, getting the understanding of the operations team to say that data is important to them, not just the process. Um, it's going to the CFO and talking about more than just spreadsheets, but about outcomes and how you can help them understand, appreciate the outcomes. In many ways, all of this is a, is a cultural oh, I love this question. Ignore it. Yeah. I love this question. This is my favorite question. I was hoping it would come up today, so I didn't feel like I was forcing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the best way to, um, to answer that question within your own organization is um, to start by saying, I understand the difference between in invention and innovation. We wish to be innovative and we're going to start a center of innovation within the company. Mm. And that can be as simple as three basic things. One, some sort of committee or body that receives ideas, mm. considers them, evaluates them and asks questions of every single one and never dismisses them out of hand. Two, changes the culture of the organization. So that's not my job is no longer part of the, of the lexicon, mm. right? And stay in your lane is also not part of the lexicon, right? right? Lacking any one of those three things, especially the latter two, you're never going to get the value from data that you want because either the people creating the data or the people receiving the results of the data are never going to get what they actually want. Hmm. What we just by doing those three things, by saying, hey, we're soliciting ideas on helping this become a data-centric organization. And these are the things you must understand. One, we want your ideas on data, which means data is now part of your job. Right. We want your ideas on, on how to use data across the entire organization, every product we make and every interaction we have as a company, right? Whether it's customer facing, whether it's contractor facing, whether it's internal only, whether it 
you know, as, as across all those, even if it's not within a piece of the organization that you have um, a deep touch in, we want it. So there are no more swim lanes. It'll come to these people and these people will evaluate each and every one of them and every single one of them will receive a response. And the response cannot be, thank you for your idea, we've decided to go a different way, <laughs> right? No canned responses. I realize it's a lot of work, but no canned responses. If you do that, one, you're gonna get ideas you never thought of, right? We're trying to get to wishes here. Yeah. Two, you're going to find 20 of the absolute right idea quicker than you ever possibly could. And no consultant can give you that. Right. And three, you're going to create a groundswell of improved morale within the organization for the right. very first time someone's actually listening to them. And even if their idea doesn't get accepted, it is heard, it is acknowledged. And you know what, when they have another idea, they'll come back with that one. If you just reply with a canned response, they go away and they're, they're not likely to come back again. I'd augment that by including internal and external representation. And I'm not saying vendors should come in and pitch you stuff, but I am saying your internal team should be able to work with vendors in order to present a potential interesting innovation, right? To say, I've learned from vendor X that this is possible. I've applied that logic to the business and I'm going to jointly present to this committee what I think is possible and what outcome I think it'll produce. Yeah, I would start the center of innovation kind of how I aligned it for for one quarter, right? right? Just do information gathering, just say, hey, where does my where do the people that work here feel the company's at and the company needs to go, right? right? Let's just get ideas. And then immediately after like day one of Q2, I would have a digital kind of value enablement workshop. Right. right, where the goal is to take those, the data ideas that resonate with the people on that committee, 20 of them, and really walk through them with an outside consultant that knows how to do a, um, a DVE and right. can really help build kind of the, the five point playbook. These are the five ideas that we wanna go with. Right. Now you have a plan, you have strategy, you have ideas that, that kind of pass muster and now you can really start getting into um, that, that maturity model. Now I can find a consultant that can focus on that, right? You can start to see spaces in the organization um, that are open and really hone in on, you know what? We don't have a tool set for this. We, we have no metadata management tool set. We have no you know, data dictionary tool set. We have no whatever tool set, right? So we're going to need to identify these vendors. How do we go about doing that, right? This is far too big for us and we lack the capability. We need to add all the capability. Now we need, now we know what better, what we need from an analyst. Yeah. It's very clear that the, those five run into the roadblock of maturity, right? So like all these five might be well above and beyond what I'm actually capable to do internally. Um, and that I might need to mature some of my, you know, 16 things before I can start to actually produce value in any one of those five. Uh, to be honest, if all five of them aren't above my current maturity level, even by some stretch, I haven't done my job. You picked, you didn't pick the right five. Correct. Correct. Because, because <laughs> really, if, if the maturity level you're at today allows you to be transformative and you're not transformative, what right. the hell are you doing? What is stopping you? Right. Right. And, and the truth is the every single organization I've had these conversations with, it's actually their maturity. That's the bottleneck. 
It's just they're not sure where that maturity is, right? So if you get all the way through it and your report card comes back and says, you're mature enough to do all five of these things, really look to your consultant and go, no, I'm not. You have failed to do the job I hired you for. I promise you, you're whitewashing this. Go back and find out where I'm not mature enough because otherwise I would have already done this because I guarantee somewhere you're missing some nuance, you're missing some granularity that's gonna become really key when it comes to implementation. Yeah, it's usually the distinct difference between apparent maturity and actual maturity. Right. Where they think they are versus where they actually are and their ability to produce actually outcomes. Uh, and you know, most large organizations at least have an ability to find data where it's readily available to create a series of MIS reports potentially even do dashboarding from things like a, uh, a, a consolidated data repository or even um, a data warehouse. That's, but that's kind of where it sits, right? That's, right? that's where most of the maturity is in bulk. And if they want to do something new or interesting or valuable or outcome centric, they, they have weak sauce, right? There's not a lot, of, not a lot there. Well, and there's a neat test. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, finish. There's a neat test that any CEO, any CIO can do um, the next time all the kind of business leads get together in the same room. When everyone's okay. discussing what our maturity model is, have everyone go around the table and give a definition of a sale, give a definition of whatever, whatever the kind of core to your business is. How right. do you count this KPI that we should all have? Right. And I like sale as, as that KPI, right? How do you count a sale if you, if you have any products? Because right. it's likely you're gonna get 12 different answers, especially if it's a complex product. Right. One group is going to say, um, no, it's when the installation is completed and the customer signs the acceptance document. Yeah. Right. Finance is going to say, no, 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 no. It's when we receive payment. Sales is going to say it's when the PO is signed. Right. Um, manufacturing is going to say it's when the product exits quality control. Right. Right. Shipping is going to say when it leaves the dock. Um, and the fact is, if that's what you're going to, if that's the response from your organization, you also cannot be data centric. Right. You now have 26 different definitions of a sale and all 26 of those have a different date attached to that sale. Not, right. not amount, date. And that becomes really, really, really important. Right. Right. Um, and, and so that really can also impact or, or um, in, inform, right, before you've even hired a consultant, before you've spent big dollars, that can really inform your maturity model. And then when your consultant comes back and says, no, you've got excellent maturity on everything, you can go... Dude, we can't even agree on a the date of a sale. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> we got to go back to 101. All right. right. So we so we've got, you know, 10ish minutes. Let's because this is a technology podcast, let's pick a couple technologies that we think are interesting or not interesting. So I will throw one out to start. Uh, I'm going ops. What's your response to that? Data ops? Data ops. I I think data ops is critical. Okay. But I also think data ops is, is not well understood and is immature. Right. We've talked about DevOps and in the 10 seconds, right? DevOps is infrastructure as code that really should not just be done by development, but should be the transition to IT operations now. Right. Right. Um, if you have DevOps started by your developers and they've been doing it for more than a year and IT operations has not transition, started the transition to DevOps, you're way behind the curve. Right. And data ops is somewhat the same way. The goal there is to look at how do I programmatically and 
de develop repeatable processes for handling and managing data so that everything isn't touched individually? How do I take the lessons learned from DevOps and apply those same lessons to data? Because the reality is most data practices are 20 years behind IT operations. Right. Since I've already learned the learned the lessons in my organization, how do I apply those lessons? And do I think 2021 is the year of data ops? I think we're going to hear it a lot more. Right. But I think any definition of data ops that doesn't rely on the lessons learned from DevOps is just a buzzword. And you probably should think of a different vendor when you're thinking of who's going to define data ops for you. With data engineering. I think when some of us define data ops, we're really talking about the process, right? We're really talking about where do I connect to a thousand points of light? How do I orchestrate that value? How do I apply algorithmic uh, considerations to find nuggets of gold? And then how I display that, right? It's more of an, an engineering exercise, right? A, a process flow exercise, but we're calling it data ops because ops feels like a process oriented activity when it's, it's, it's different. Uh, I think it's just a maturity of definition sometimes. Uh, and we've got to think about how do we uh, sort of mature the knowledge base within the community of users who are, who are going to use and accept these considerations going forward. And I think part of it too is kind of the, the expert data scientist, citizen data scientist conversation that's been going on. Yeah. Right. I think that if you don't define what that means inside your organization, you still aren't data opsing. You're not going to be data ops, right? Data ops is not a tool set. It's a mindset. It right. starts way before you pick up the first tool. It starts in the mindset. Um, and maybe we do an episode on an episode a little a little bit deeper here. Um, so I'd like to talk about because because this is this is leadership for leadership, right? I'd like to talk about what is a CDO. We touched on it just very, very briefly, right? What is a CDO and where should a C CDO sit in the organization? What is the value that a CDO should drive? You've thought about it more, so you start. So um, I think a CDO sits and reports directly to the CEO, right? Um, effectively, if your organization is to be a data-driven organization, then the quality, quantity, and, and priority of data within the organization has to be as high as is possible, which means they report directly to, to the CEO. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think data is um, another IT job and would therefore report to the CIO. I don't think it's um, how do we use technology and thus reports to the CTO. Um, I really firmly believe that the role of the CDO is to help transform the business using data and to teach them to speak a new language and therefore requires direct interaction with the CEO. Uh, I 100% agree. In fact, I would, I would liken the CDO to, be, to the CDO, right? the chief data officer to the chief digital officer. Right, they exist for being the uh, the uh, embrace of data to be a driving factor for the growth or efficiency of the organization, and that that driving factor is about uh, using data as an asset for your organization, not just the knowledge of its creation and its process and its outcome, but also for um, 
but also for its application to your organization to look for customer segments that currently don't exist or to enter new markets to which you don't have enough knowledge for or to com compete or combat uh, other market forces to which uh, are challenging. This is about saying, how do I shift from this product or transaction or customer, customer centricity into a data centricity, which in fact encompasses all those other things? How do I articulate the services and products that I produce into a data centric fashion? Because that's what in many ways, what makes me digital. And, and ultimately, um, if my goal is not to have data inform the important decisions within the business, then I'm not data centric and I don't need a CDO. Right. Right. Data must be used to inform the decisions. It informs the strategy. It informs the policies. It informs the tactical. It tells us what, how to shift products to a new market and when a market is drying up, regardless of what we actually see. Mm -hmm. right? it, it's, it is effectively the indicator of change on the macro and micro level. Mm -hmm. And the job of the CDO is to set up data structures, set up data tools, set up data outputs that can properly inform the business using data in, the, in ways the business really cares about. Right. Does this require my organization as a whole, not just the IT team, but as a whole, to have different go-to-market partnerships than I had before? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And is this, is this like cloud providers? Do I have to have a different relationship with Amazon and Google and Microsoft distinctly different than just being a provider of technology? 100%. My office productivity, which uh, it I might think, also be, but, sure, but it, sure. is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I also think you have to have a different relationship with your marketing team, Yeah. Hmm. right? I think you have to have a relationship with the marketing team that says our data says this, right? Personalized right. to us. You have market data. We need to be able to combine the two things and then determine our marketing strategy. And if your marketing company is not, not okay with that, then I think you have a problem. I think it informs every component in your supply chain, mm -hmm. right? Our, our growth models say we need to diversify. We can no longer have one shipper. We now, now need to have two, right? right? Mr. One shipper, they got 100%. You're still going to get 70% of our business, right? But that other 30% is going to have to go someplace else. And if you're not okay with that, I, I'm sorry, but but I have to make a determination based on what's okay for my company. The goal is to make the 70% equal to the prior 100%. It's gonna take us a little time to get there. Right. Right. We now have to have four vendors for, for a part that we had one for before, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, and so I think, it, I think it really is going to change your um, relationships with every vendor and any vendor that it doesn't change relationships with, you probably wanna look internally and say, hey, um, you're in charge of that vendor. Why has that relationship remained largely the same? Why are you not changing based on the information provided by data? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, I will totally defend that person. The data is going to align with the decisions they were previously making. Humans right. are very, very, very good at pattern recognition on a, on a subliminal level. We're, <laughs> we allow intu intuition to, to really come from data a lot more often than we think. Um, and so I think that you'll have some cases where that's been happening, but I think you're gonna have an awful lot more cases where the data says what you're doing is incorrect. And so let's start the shift. Don't just flip a light switch. Right. <laughs> right. Not a lot of chiefs are raw material chiefs, right? So, you know, chief data officer is a raw material statement. Uh, chief analytics officer is a process statement. Chief outcome officer is a result statement. 
which is more appropriate? Is it a raw material organization? Is it a process organization? Is it an outcome or results organization? Uh, or I mean, all, or all. I think that's a transition phase. And I think you can hedge your bet by calling it the chief digital officer. I don't think that you need a chief digital officer and a chief data officer. Right. Um, I think if you have a chief digital officer and are going to add a CDO, that might be a point where this, the, the chief digital officer or the chief data officer reports to the chief digital officer. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, I think the role, I think the, the, the goal of the role should be the same. And it's entirely reasonable to start with the raw materials chief data officer. And when it when, when as the, the maturity of the office in, improves and really starts to better inform and become more critical to the organization, changing that to achieve digital officer aligns with the outcomes. Yeah, I kind of like the chief data officer to be under the chief digital officer as chief digital officer uh, wants to create a data centric growth organization. Uh, some of which will require raw materials, some of which will require customer experience, some of which will require a whole different sense of vendor and, and, and procurement management. All that is part and parcel of digitizing or creating digital this organization. I think that's the perfect fit. So I think maybe we need, we need an upcoming episode that is CTO, CDO, and CDO, and kind of what that alignment looks like. If you want to become digital, what does, how does the organizational unit change? Right. Carlos, good chat. So, future episodes, <laughs> Alphabet Soup, EIEIO, but at the end of the day, ones and zeros are important for a company. And like we have seen today, understanding where they are, how to use them can have a big impact in what the company does. So make sure that you pay attention as of this year, the changes are happening where you're going and apply some of the techniques and the suggestions that Howard and Paul have shared. Because remember, we are technical leaders and technology change, but we need to look what we need for our company. Not because someone else is doing it, we need to implement it. We need to be aware of it and then take the right approach for our company. As always, make sure that you share this with your friends, subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.